0: This is reset. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We just heard about the impact Biden's debt forgiveness programs having on current loan holders, but something that's not being addressed in this plan: rising college tuition.
1: Forty-three million Americans carry student debt. They owe the government more than one point seven trillion dollars. One reason for the crisis: skyrocketing tuition. Average cost of attending a
2: public college up tenfold since 1965.
0: Over the past 30 years, college tuition and fees have skyrocketed, look at that, 570%. So what can be done to avoid a similar debt crisis for future students? And what role is rising college costs playing in creating student debt? Here to help us think through that is David Feldman, professor of economics at the College of William & Mary and author of the books Why Does College Cost So Much?, and The Road Ahead for America's Colleges and Universities. Welcome to Reset, David.
1: Hello. Happy to be with you.
0: Also with us is Senior Fellow at the Urban Institute, Sandy Baum. Welcome, Sandy.
3: Hi. Nice to be here.
0: David, when people see what it costs to attend college, they're often shocked by the the price tag, and they often wonder, why does learning cost so much? But You make the point that the cost of college actually hasn't increased as much as folks think. Can you explain that?
1: Well, uh, the first thing that we have to distinguish is between the published or sticker price uh, and the uh, price that uh, the average student actually pays, uh, which we call the net price. And the numbers that uh, we heard about in the lead-up to the story were all about the sticker price. And, of course, many students do pay the sticker price. uh, But at the nation's private institutions... Uh, that's only about one in 10 students or fewer who pay the sticker price. Most get substantial tuition discounts, and uh, those discounts, uh, that aid uh, is the single most important and rapidly growing component of uh, of aid relative to, say, f- uh, federal uh, support or, or uh, what states are providing. So, um, and, and only about 50% of students at public universities actually pay the sticker price. Uh, so it's important to um, to think about the sticker price, but it's also important to understand that the net price or the price that the average student pays has not risen nearly as much, especially over the past uh, 10 or 15 years. I can give you the numbers, but uh, I'll let Sandy get a word in.
0: <laughs> well, Sandy, why don't you pick up where, where David left off there?
3: Well, uh, one issue, I and mean, David is exactly right, that we have to look at how much students actually pay. I think it's important to note that there are two components, two main components. So this one is that the colleges themselves are giving discounts. This is most true at the private colleges that David mentioned, but also at many public colleges, that the college says, oh, our tuition is $10,000 or $20,000, but we're going to give some students or even all students a discount from this. And so the price they're posting is, is really quite meaningless. But there's also the fact that there's a lot of federal and state grant aid out there. The government is helping students to pay the prices of college. And while that's not a college policy, it is very important when you think about student debt that students don't have to borrow as much as they would if we didn't have these programs. Another point I think it's really important to mention uh, early on is that this is not just about tuition. When students go to college, they also have to live. They may live on campus and uh-huh. pay for uh, room and board, and they may not live on campus, but they still have to eat and they still have to have housing. And that explains a lot of the student debt.
0: Well, to that end, Sandy, you've talked a lot about the rising costs of public colleges and universities in particular. Aren't those supposed to be the most affordable option?
3: Public colleges and universities are the most affordable option. In fact, in particular, community colleges, public two-year colleges, have quite low tuition prices. Um, this is the, the kind of college that there's been a lot of discussion about making it free. And in some states, there are programs so students don't have to pay tuition. Those students borrow a lot less than students mm-hmm. at other institutions, but they still borrow.
0: You know, David, something that you'll often hear is is people blaming rising college costs on What seem like unnecessary amenities at colleges, I'm talking like fancy dorms and dining halls and and even pay raises for administrative staff. So Mm -hmm. to what degree is that type of thing contributing to these rising costs?
1: Minuscule. Uh, the um, and, and unfortunately, some of the uh, more publicized events, you know, Louisiana State University with its fancy pools, uh, contributes to a, a sense that this is the driving issue. Um, but uh, m- many of these new facilities that are coming online are actually very inexpensive. Uh, you know, things like a, an extra student fee of thirty dollars a year, things of that nature. Um, the 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 driving engine of college costs. Uh, And once again, cost is what the university spends to produce a year of education. Price is what the student is charged for it, and they're very different in this subsidized industry. But the driving engine of uh, cost, what universities have to spend uh, per year of school is the the personnel uh, that the university hires. Um, The um, cost of personnel, uh, universities hire in a national labor market. Uh, and uh, uh, they have to pull people away from alternative uh, uh, courses of work, everybody from the the people who man the it staff uh, to the faculty members in many departments that that have alternatives. So mm. the problem in higher education is that unlike in say manufacturing uh, uh, the automobile industry where technological change dramatically increased labor productivity, the amount of output you get per hour worked. Higher education like child daycare is a personal service. It's really hard to increase labor productivity, the amount of students uh, a professor teaches uh, without uh, diminishing the quality of the experience. Um, And and in fact, if anything, over the past um, generation, uh, colleges have had to spend more because of technological change, not less, because we are sending our students out into technology-saturated world where they have to be familiar with uh, with the technologies of the world, and we embody them in our classrooms.
0: Sandy, thinking again about public colleges and universities in particular, what led to funding for them getting slashed?
3: Well, the funding for them is a really important issue because public colleges and universities do get revenues from state and local governments and over time the share of their revenues that come from those public sources that share has diminished and so tuition has to pick up um, the difference and this has to do with the fact that you know as david says it is expensive to produce high quality higher education somebody has to pay for it if people were willing to pay for it through taxes then there would be lower tuition but nobody wants to pay the taxes that are required to fund this And as more and more students have gone to college, as enrollments have gone up rapidly over time, state funding simply hasn't kept up with that. There's a lot less funding per student than there used to be. Uh So there's really a choice. Are we going to pay in taxes or are we going to pay in tuition?
0: As we talk about this student debt crisis, Sandy, doesn't a big part of the college loan issue come down to interest rates? They're pretty high. Uh,
3: Well, the, the first thing is, is it a crisis? And uh, the issue is the the truth is that for some individual borrowers it is certainly a personal crisis. But overall, for most students, most students get a really high return to their investment in education, and they actually can reasonably pay back their loans. I'm sure they would rather not pay them back. So,
0: so you're saying overall, you wouldn't you wouldn't classify this as a student debt crisis? What we're in now.
3: No, no, I would say there are serious problems. The system system needs a lot of reform and a lot of borrowers need help. So I don't want some borrower out there listening. So oh, you don't know my situation. Of course, there are people who need help, but overall, many more people are able to go to college because they have access to credit, to pay for it. If you couldn't borrow, just as if you couldn't borrow to start a business, most people couldn't start a business. If you couldn't borrow to go to college, many, many people would not be able to go at all. The interest rates on student loans that you're asking about are regulated by the government, uh-huh. and they change over time. So people have, have loans with, with low interest rates and higher interest rates, depending on when they took them. But, you know, if you're going to borrow money, the interest rates that you pay to the federal government on these loans are lower certainly than what you would pay if you put it on your credit card or went to the bank and got a loan.
0: This is re- go ahead,
1: David, go ahead. Wait for a minute, uh, uh, a, a, um, uh, a little known fact that I like to toss at people that usually gets jaws dropping on the floor. Uh, I ask who are the people most likely to be in default, people who are not paying on their student loans. And, and most people think it's people with high debts. In fact, the people who are most likely to not be able to repay on their student loans have five, 10, 12,000 in debt. And I say, how, how can that be? How can people with so little debt not be able to repay? And it's because an awful lot of people make an attempt at college, borrow ten or $12,000 for that first year, drop out, leave with no credential that helps them to, uh, to pay back that loan, and are stuck. So it's small amounts of debt that are the crisis more than l- Interesting. larger amounts.
0: Interesting. Well, you know, debt forgiveness, n- no matter the amount uh, of, of debt, it's clearly going to help students across the country. Um, it doesn't, though, address the issue of affordability for future students, which we've been talking about here on the program. How can we begin to prevent this from continuing, David?
1: Well, uh, I, I, there are two ways that, um, that the federal government has some leverage. Uh, the rest of it devolves to the states, where their performance is widely different. Some states are really stingy toward higher education. Some are fairly generous. But at the federal level, uh, we have been talking about things like substantially increasing the Pell Grant for, for many years or doubling the Pell Grant. Uh, th- this, uh, this would do an awful lot to diminish the likelihood that low income uh, students needed to go significantly into debt to achieve um, uh, an an education at most of the nation's uh, public institutions. The other thing is the federal government actually could exert some leverage on states to increase the amount of uh, appropriations that they set aside for higher education. There have been a, a number of proposals uh, Senator Tom former Senator Tom Harkin had a wonderful idea uh, uh, not all that long ago mm-hmm. to create a federal-state partnership where uh, states that appropriated at least X, where X is um, more than the average state appropriates now, uh, would get a block grant from the federal government. And if they increase their appropriations, they would get extra block grants up to some maximum. The goal would be to encourage states, which, as Sandy points out, are are somewhat reluctant to use the tax base to support higher education, to do so. Uh, so, so these are the kinds of things that the federal government could do that would hold list price tuition down at right. public universities and help um, students attending public or private institutions stay out of debt.
0: Before I let you go, Sandy, outside of legislation, just briefly tell us, is there anything that parents or students listening right now can do to to try to avoid getting into severe debt if they want to go to college?
3: Well, the federal government could also help parents and students by being stricter about regulating institutions and holding them accountable. A big share of the problems with student debt come from students going off largely the for-profit institutions that charge relatively high tuition, where they don't get the education they thought they were going to get, where they're likely not to complete, and they borrow much more than they would if they went to a public institution. So parents and students should look carefully at the choices that they're making. For-profit institutions can in some cases be a good thing, but those cases are fairly limited. Be careful that you're not throwing your money down a black hole. That If we didn't have that problem, if the federal government were more careful about where you could take your money, we would have a lot less of a student debt problem. So look hard at your options. Get information. You don't have to pay for the information. Mm-hmm. Go to a local college or university. You can get good information about whether you're making a good investment. And before you borrow, think hard about your options and don't take loans that are not federal student loans.
0: We've been speaking with Sandy Baum, Senior Fellow at the Urban Institute, and David Feldman, Professor of Economics at William and Mary and author of The Road Ahead for America's Colleges and Universities. Sandy and David, thank you. Now let's talk about one way to offset the cost of college, or at least some of it: scholarships. Here to provide some advice for how to find scholarships is Dante Vosa, college advisor with the University of Michigan College Advising Corp. Hi, Dante. Hi, how you doing? Doing well. So you work directly with students in a high school in Michigan. Tell us a bit about your high school and, and the students that you serve.
2: The name of my high school is Chandler Park Academy. It's right on the edge of Detroit, so I'm not technically in the city of Detroit, but most of the students would say that they are from Detroit, even if their address doesn't really reflect that. So I'm kind of in a suburb right on the edge of Detroit. To give some perspective, we're kind of right at the end of 8 Mile. I serve around 600 students total, but I focus mostly on working with high schools, uh, seniors and juniors, to that, to uh, get the scholarships Before they're getting into
0: college. So, when you're talking to them about the cost of college, are they surprised by tuition costs? And and are you hearing concerns from them or from their parents about being able to even afford higher education?
2: Yeah, so that's that's actually one of the top things that parents come to me with as, as they're concerned about getting their students into college. And at my school, there's a large culture of kind of not necessarily just doing that classic four-year path, but also a lot of students go to kind of two-year community colleges or trade schools. And so there's just a lot of discussion about, like, what is the real cost of college and the value you're getting out of it, and what are your options to, to make it affordable for you.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, one great way for... Students to cover costs is through scholarships, as we know. So, can you just break down oh. for us, Dante, the, the different types of scholarships that are out there and where you suggest that your students start looking for them?
2: Yeah, so if you ask Penn advisors how to break up scholarships into the categories, they'll give you 11 different ways to break them up. So the ways I always think of them is you have like your federal level scholarships, which are like the Pell Grants. Uh, those come directly from the federal government, are given to students, no matter who the student is, what state they live in, what school they're going to. Uh, then just below that, you kind of have your state level scholarships. These, obviously, because they're state level, will vary wildly by state. Um, a lot of times, As I mentioned, along with the federal grants, you'll have to fill out what's called the Free Application for Student Aid, FAFSA. Uh Uh, In order to get any federal money, you need to submit that, but then kind of for a lot of state-level money, you'll need to do that, too. You then have your institutional-level money, which is the stuff that's given to you by the school you're attending – uh again probably have to complete your fafsa but they also will probably have some other information you need to give them and then kind of lastly below that we have our uh private scholarships which typically are are organizations in your community or nationwide organizations that are giving you the money directly as opposed to your university the government some other yeah. organization
0: that's a nice neat list there dante but some of that can be really overwhelming right it's a lot yeah. um, and, and students have to think about you know applying for these scholarships they've got homework they've got college applications everything else that's going on in their lives a pandemic monkey pox you name it what strategies yeah. can you give students just to make it all feel more manageable?
2: So my number one tip that I will give, uh, and it's maybe a little bit obvious, is start as early as you possibly can. So to rattle off a date, uh, that federal application that I mentioned that is going to be your starting point for any amount of financial aid, uh, it opens up on October 1st. So as soon as October 1st hits, look up FAFSA, F-A-F-S-A, jump into that, fill it out as much as you can. You will need some parent information, too. Uh and then get that application in alongside that again work early so a lot of those private scholarships might need letters of recommendation from not just teachers or staff in your school, but a lot of times they require a recommendation from someone outside of your school. So make sure you find those those recommenders, maybe even before you step foot in the school for your senior year, so that you know when the time comes to write these applications, you, you have the person in place to give you that letter of recommendation you need. And then another talking to people thing would be uh, a lot of times your, essay, your scholarship applications will require an essay of some kind. And I always recommend students get Someone else's eyes on that essay before you submit your application, whether it 's a language arts teacher, not to plug my own job but yeah. a college advisor, anybody that you really trust to to not just give it a look over for like grammatical correctness but also make sure you're kind of talking about the things that the question the scholarship is asking wants you to talk about
0: yeah and and should there be an emphasis dante in in your opinion on, on focusing on smaller scholarships
2: um so I think there's definitely a balance. It's going to depend a lot on where you're attending. So, like, obviously the cost of college will vary widely depending on whether you're at a large state school, a large private school, a small community college, something in between. And so it really is going to depend student by student. But that's why all of this getting your information done early is going to be really important because then you'll be able to get kind of the golden ticket you need from your your program that you're going into, which will be your financial aid report. And that will give you the cost, how much you're getting in federal stuff, how much you're getting in institutional stuff, and then everything else is what you're going to need to fill in. And I really kind of work student by student, at least at my school, to figure out what exactly can we do to fill in that. But another thing is a lot of schools are starting to kind of do, uh, promise scholarships, tuition guarantees, whatever we want to call them, depending where we're at. Uh, Look for schools that have those. Those typically mean that if you go there, you'll have an institutional scholarship that covers the cost. Granted, that might not extend out of tuition and fees, but that's a large portion of what you're going to be paying to attend
0: college. That question was sparked by Reset listener J.P. Paulus with some great advice there in our Twitter inbox about small scholarships. We've been talking with Dante Voza, who's college advisor with the University of Michigan College Advising Corp. Thank you, Dante. Yeah, thank you. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ Reset, wherever you listen.